This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Sam Nellis. I'm Rich Shane. Don Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And we are at Caldonia Spirits. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Now, we met Amy Casale at the Philadelphia Flower Show a couple of years ago. Dawn and I fell in love with your spirits. And this has been a couple of years into making. COVID's kind of interrupted, and it's interrupted your distillery too. But welcome to the podcast. We're so excited, and, and, and thanks for, for being part of this today with us. For sure, Rich. Thanks for um, having me here and coming all the way to Montpelier, Vermont, uh, to visit us. I ask people, what's the capital of Vermont? And a lot of people are kind of stymied. Sure. Because it's the lesser-known capital. But everybody here has been so hospitable. Everybody here has been great. Caldonia Spirits, how did this get started? Talk about how this all began. Yeah, sure. Um, so fun fact about Montpelier first, it's the smallest state capital in the country and actually the only one without a McDonald's. Uh, you are like the are fourth person <laughs> that has said without a McDonald's, there must be some pride of not having McDonald's here. I think there is some pride, you know, here in, <laughs> in, in Vermont. We like uh, small companies, local businesses, local produce, agriculture, all that sort of thing. Um, and so we, we like to have independent. This is an independently owned uh, distillery. Um, and so we're, we're very proud of that fact for sure. Um, the, the, the company Caledonia Spirits, uh, first and foremost, is the name of the, the company and the whole distillery. Uh, and Bar Hill, what we're maybe known a little bit better as, is the name of our core line of products, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but we started up in Hardwick in a very far away little town, um, much smaller than Montpelier, uh, in an area of Vermont called the Northeast Kingdom. So a very uh, mystical uh, name for that region of Vermont, and where a lot of interesting things happen. We're in a very small space, about uh, 7,000 square feet, I believe, um, in, a, in, a, in a red building, kind of looked like a barn behind a Ford dealership. Um, we were there for about eight years, uh, and then recently as a couple of years ago moved to this location in a new building about 24,000 square feet in Montpelier, Vermont. Um, so in Hardwick, we were founded uh, specifically by a beekeeper named Todd Hardy. And Todd it was Vermont's first bee inspector, and he was very passionate about the land and agriculture and and really respecting what, what the bees are producing in the sense of really bringing uh, raw honey back to the scene in this region. So raw honey is unfiltered, unfined, unpasteurized, so never heated uh, above 95 degrees. And the reason being is that there's just so many more not only flavors, but also nutrients and, and things for medicinal purposes. And that raw honey is about 100, 150 wildflowers that are actually uh, foraged by the bees. Um, so it really works well in, in, in our products, um, specifically in the gin, because there's so many botanicals in the honey, and botanicals are what gin is all about. Um, so our gin is actually just distilled with juniper berries only, and then we, we're finishing it with a little bit of raw honey. So on the one side of things, it's, you know, one... Uh, botanical but also potentially like countless botanicals of 100 and 150 flowers that are in there um, 
And so, yeah, Rohani is at the core of, of most of the things we do here at, at Bar Hill. So, so how did somebody who was a bee inspector sure. or a honey inspector get into the idea of doing distillation? Sure. Um, so that's a, a key point to the story is that Todd Hardy partnered with Ryan Christensen, who at the time had a homebrew store, was very passionate about fermenting and learned a lot about distillation as well. Um, so with their partnership together, they were able to bring Todd's, you know, passion for the honey and the bees and the land and Ryan's passion for distillation um, together to start making spirits. Um, one of the first ideas was, was mostly mead, so a fermented honey, a honey wine, or however you want to call yeah, it. Because we love mead. And sure. as, you're, as you're talking about doing something with honey, mm-hmm. I would have thought, naturally, you would gravitate towards mead, less expensive to start, sure. less cumbersome. I mean, you're just fermenting honey, right. make a honey wine. Right. Where did that whole – how did the whole process take place? Because that's pretty fascinating. Yes. The, the mead was one of the first things. You know, when we first opened, we were called Caledonia Spirits and Winery um, for that per- purpose. It, it, it's, it's a little bit complicated, especially in a state like Vermont, to have those two distinctions. We had to have the winery very separate from the distillery and for, for legal purposes. And, and we, we realized that our the, the spirit side of things, the distillation side of things, and that's one of the first things Ryan brought to the table is to really kind of – focus to bring focus to what we're doing even now 10 years later we really have three main products we've never really gone out of the way to make sometimes distilleries have 10 12 15 different uh, constantly rotating we really wanted to focus on what we were doing and and realize that the products that they were making were, were a big hit you know in in um i forget what year it is if it was 2011 or 12 that uh the bar hill gin won best in show at the hong kong international spirits um competition as well as the new york city one um and so they realized that they had something special with this with this gin and um decided to focus on it that's high praise and especially when you think you're on the right path and then you get those compliments you get that commendations to say all right let's let's bring this Let's make this bigger, right? Exactly. Now, I guess what you started out is doing some smaller things. Was the vision always to make it this big? Or is this just knowing that you're really doing something well? And for those people, I mean, we're going to go through the tastings of, of some of your spirits. But for those people who have not heard of you know, Bar Hill Gin or Bar Hill Vodka and what you do, we're going to bring this to them. But you're really... You, you've expanded. There's a lot of distribution throughout the United States right now. For sure. Yeah. Um, I can't really speak for what the founders, you know, initial vision war was, um, but I'm sure they're, 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 they're happy and happily surprised and, and, and proud of what they've built here um, because we, we are now in about 32 states distribution and, and five countries technically, with most of it being Quebec and Canada and then a little bit around the world like Japan and Switzerland and Denmark um, minimally. Um, but yes, the, the idea was to uh, share this, this, this gin and, and in essence share the, the honey and the terroir of this region um, with the world. We, we, know, we understand that without this honey coming from this region, we would not have Bar Hill Gin or Bar Hill Vodka. Honey is extremely versatile and, and, and dynamic and changes depending on um, every square mile of the world you're in. So Now with Bar Hill and with Caledonia Spirits, I know you do um, the Bee's Knees. That's a program to promote um, bees sure. specifically. Talk about that program because you talked about the terroir and you talked about the honey. And I, and I think it's so important to focus on the fact that when you're drinking something from, from Caledonia Spirits, when you're drinking a Bar Hill product, there's such we, – we took the tour. Thank you for taking us through your facility. But there's such a connection to the land. There's such a connection to um, – the value of what the earth has to produce, which obviously is honey from bees. But, sure. you know, talk about that connection to, to that and what the Bees Knees program is. For sure, for sure. Um, many folks out there might know or maybe don't know that bees are, one, very, very important for our agricultural system. Todd Hardy, the founder, he calls them the uh, angels of agriculture um, because without bees and without pollinators in general, we would be losing a third of all food on the planet. Um, so they're very, very uh, crucial to our, our whole agricultural systems. And so we, we tried to figure out a way that we can uh, give back to the bees um, and, and help them out a little bit. So we created what we call Bees Knees Week, which actually just ended. Yeah, that just ended. <laughs> the, last, the last week, we stretched it to about 10 days, so two weekends, including the week uh, of September. And 
a bee's knees, first of all, is a cocktail from the 1920s, and it's gin, uh, lemon juice, and honey. So a very simple cocktail, delicious cocktail, especially if you're using fresh lemon juice and a raw honey uh, that you turn into a syrup and Bar Hill gin, of course. Um, and so we created Bee's Knees Week, and, and during that week, uh, anybody around the world can post a photo of a Bee's Knees cocktail that they either make at home through a, a bottle that they bought at the liquor store or they have one at a cocktail bar. Um, and for every post, they use the hashtag Bee's Knees Week and tag Bar Hill Gin. Bar Hill will actually plant 10 square feet of uh, pollinator habitat. And so we just got our stats back from last year. Um, we will be planting 200,000 square feet. It's a little bit over four acres of like a natural uh, wild flower uh, habitat that it gives the, a place for the bees um, to, to do their thing, which is important because these are usually spaces, we work with different organizations around the country, but they're spaces where it's normally mowed lawn, you know, manicured lawn, um, a lot of times it's actually under uh, solar panels, fields. So this is a way to kind of um, do two re re regenerative things in, in one space, which is that have the solar fields, but then have the wildlife, the wildflower uh, pollinator habitat growing underneath them. So that's not just in this area. This could be, as you said, maybe throughout the country that it, this is being done? Exactly. How, I, I'm curious, how has this program at least impacted the bee population? Have there been some studies or some yeah. you know, following to know that you've improved the bee population just even around this distillery in the area? Totally. Um, the, so we, we, meet, we met with the, the organization that we work with in this region is called uh, Be the Change. Great, great little pun name. And the, they have a very simple way of calculating um, the effects of their program. And so they went, they went, it takes a couple years to get the, the pollinator field really up and kind of running itself. Um, but what they do is they go to that space before they've planted or done anything to it. And they count, and they, they measure three minutes, and they basically just visually have one person counting to see how many pollinators they can spot. And the three years ago, before this field was a pollinator habitat, the, the gentleman, Mike, he said he had counted, I think it was 17 pollinators in three whole minutes. And then when we were there doing an event just a few weeks ago, he had counted 17 pollinators in 30 seconds. Wow. So much, much, much faster. Um, so now you have to tag the bees so you know which ones are there and which ones come back. <laughs> he's pretty smart. He's probably mentally tagging all of them. But, um, and he even said that he's noticing some, some bee um, species and some pollinator species that he had never seen in that area before. You know, so there is so there's real impact that, that's being measured. And so it's I think really it's nice huge. Tangible... I, I, and this is one of the things that Dawn and I talk about. I mean, we were out when we got to the area the other day, and we're drinking ciders and cocktails and things like that, and we notice all the bees coming around. Mm -hmm. Well, our first inclination is, like, swat them and kill them. Mm -hmm. But how important it is. To, to allow that, those bees and, as you say, pollinators to do their thing and, and, and what it means for us and what it means for just the earth in general. Totally. It's, it's so important and, and I think a lot of people have that fear of them, uh, kind of a, un, un, a fear that's not needed really. Uh, you know, me working in this job over the last few years, I've had the experience to be able to go visit some apiaries and do some cocktail shoots and stuff out there with the bees and every time I, I hang out with the bees, I'm always very surprised by how uh, spiritual almost and meditative the experience is, the bees are buzzing around with that constant noise and um, how, how gentle they are and the relationship between the, the, the folks who take care of the bees and their bees is, is very special and they can really um, communicate with them. They understand the pitch of the buzzing. If it's this high, a certain pitch, that means they're upset, let's leave them alone. If they're a little bit different pitch, that they're calmer, we can approach them. So they really kind of understand this human and bee relationship. I knew we were going to learn a lot on this podcast. That was a spot I never knew we were going to learn about the pitching of, of sure. bees and the noise. So that's great. Sure. Sam, how did you end up with Bar Hill? How sure. did you end up with Caledonia Spirits? What's, what's your path? Totally. Personally, I'm, I'm in the bar world. You know, I've been in cocktail bars and bar managing different restaurants and bars around Vermont specifically um, for the last 10 years. Uh, about three years ago, I made the switch to working for Bar Hill. It was I knew I wanted to, to learn something new and move into this kind of um, supplier world uh, and kind of producer world of Vermont. And Bar Hill was definitely at the, the top of my list in terms of companies I wanted to work for. I'd always worked with the products for a long time. I always loved the products. I always loved the folks that worked here. Um, and I was a, a big fan and, and a big um, 
a big pusher of Bar Hill Gin and the other products, the vodka and the Tomcat at the bars I worked at. It was always a little bit of an inside joke with the bartenders that we knew that if we put Bar Hill Gin in the cocktail, then it would be one of the best sellers. It was almost a little too easy to work with. That's high praise. And, and that's high praise to the public's recognition of the products. Now, with one of the things I recognize in, on the tour, we always kind of look at distilleries or breweries and, and the idea right today is things are becoming more of a destination. What you've done here with this facility is you've really helped to create, this is a destination. You've got Montpelier, you're right up the road from there. You're Burlington, you're like a mile, uh, an hour east, if that. You've got Stowe, you've got all this stuff going on. Is the mindset for the owners and the company to create a destination for showcasing your spirits and what you do here? Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to really connect with, with our fans, with our guests, instead of just being a production facility and putting it out there into the world of sales and such. We really wanted folks to be able to see that we do produce it all here, that we make it all here. We're using raw um, agricultural ingredients. And we wanted to have that level of education with folks and, and have it go vice versa, where we can educate them about cocktails and spirits and how best to you know mix with our, our spirits, but also learn from them and see what their reaction is to different cocktails that we make and, and to different spirits. And it's really fun when we release an experimental product and we can get the, the public and the community to come um, taste it and tell us what they think. Uh, we're, we're very much embedded to this. It's, it's an interesting mix between tourists and the local community. So it's really fun to have folks you know visiting from Montreal, sitting next to uh, Apple Farmer from down the street or someone who works at a local restaurant here in Montpelier, meeting a bartender from New York that's, you know, driving through or something. Um, so it's really folks from all over the place. And it, it's been really well um, received from our community, both locally and a little bit more nationally. We talked on our tour together about how important it is to make a great cocktail when you're starting with a great spirit. And you even said, hey, it's, it's, it's almost at an advantage if I'm using a, a Bar Hill spirit. What are you like? Are you seeing certain um, trends right now? Because you're deep into the cocktail experience. Sure. Are there trends, or are you seeing things that you're leading the way on? Things and ideas that you and your staff are talking about. Sure. Um, I think people are realizing that, and we're helping to to push that. That people are realizing that spirits just like wine and, and food items come from an agricultural product and if that agricultural product that raw material is, is is of quality then in turn it helps us to make a more quality spirit and if that spirit is of quality then the things you make with it like cocktails are are already a step up you know sometimes a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when some people taste one of our spirits and say oh that's too good i wouldn't want to ruin it you know quote unquote by putting it into a cocktail and that bothers me just because you know if we had a organic heirloom local tomatoes it would only make that salad much better it wouldn't ruin the salad right so i think that is an amazing (laughs) i i can't wait thanks for that's just imparting that is, is so important. Because, yeah, you could take that heirloom tomato and you could just eat it, right? Right. But if you now make that part of the whole experience and you help it to evolve and elevate it, and there's a mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Because I can say for the Tomcat, for me, I think that's one of the best sipping gins. Just serve it neat. Okay. Don't do too much with it. But talk about elevating because you're the craftsman, right? Right. Michelangelo was asked, you know, how he created the statue David. And, you know, basically the idea is we've talked about this on another podcast that, you know, God made that. I just chipped away the parts to get to what was there. And I think that when you craft the cocktail, right, you're bringing in to the spirit those flavors or those textures that are going to elevate that whole experience of drinking it. So you're, you're really in that, 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 that craft cocktail experience, you're responsible for that in, in, in doing that and, and creating that better experience. For sure. And I think a, a, a lot of folks, you know, I think specifically in what they call the dark ages of cocktails of like the 70s and the 80s, um, cocktails were meant maybe to kind of mask the flavor of the alcohol or the spirit and just kind of a, a vessel to, for people to get a, a little buzz going. Um, but now in the craft cocktail world, it's really how do we, how do we let that craft spirit shine and, and complement it with, with, uh, with great 
with great other ingredients. So like the bee's knees, for example, it's a very simple drink, three ingredients. But if you're using kind of a subpar gin and you're using the you know bottled lemon juice from those little plastic yellow lemons in the grocery store, and if you're using just kind of a generic honey that's mostly simple syrup anyway, it's not going to taste the same no matter how well you mix it up. Um, so starting first and foremost with, with those ingredients and those um, those raw ingredients as well as the, the, the ones that have been produced, um, starting with the highest quality possible, it's just going to help you become, have a higher quality cocktail. Where we are in where we are in Vermont right now, and and talking specifically more about craft cocktails, are there are there ingredients? Are there things that you're able to um, access that really you look forward to, whether it's seasonally for sure. some of the cocktails you make? Sure, um, you know our whole. So we have a cocktail bar here on on premise and full cocktails with, with different spirits even and wine and beer and snacks and um, we're very much a our, our motto here is land crafted instead of handcrafted so we work a lot with local farmers and foragers even in the region everyone's all those types of folks are, are, are understanding and knowing that we're making um, cocktails with their their products and so even very small farm producers a little bit of a hobby or they have a really big diversified farm so they have a little bit of everything they'll show up with a couple crates of blackberries on their truck and say hey do you want to taste these you want to buy these and usually you know they're good and we buy them and we make something even if it's only for a a weekend or a week because it's so seasonal Um, we're also working with a lot of kind of uh farmers and growers that are doing that are that are going a little bit outside the box and they're they're finding um ingredients that we can grow in this region um for example we we have a producer that's making northern hardy kiwis and these are these are actually just in season right now they're being harvested and they're very small like the size of olives and they grow on vines and their skin is soft it's not fuzzy and you can eat the whole thing but they taste very similar to a real kiwi and so this is a way that we can have kind of that like tropical or almost exotic flavor but actually having it being grown locally is is very cool um as well as that same producer makes um sea berries which are sometimes called choke berries or aronia berries or elder berries just like thinking a little bit beyond your standard you know fruits and vegetables is and realizing that some of these things are, are purposely um being chose to grow in this kind of northern climate because they do really well here and just because we have a smaller growing season doesn't mean we have you know less options to choose from this is why it's important for the public and, and for Dawn and myself we had this conversation while driving up here from our area about how valuable it is to go actually visit the spirit producer the winery we can yes I know Bar Hill Spirits is going to be on the shelf at the PLCB in, in Pennsylvania, it'll be on the shelf in New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland. And to those people that are listening throughout the United States, definitely go and you know try these if you haven't or buy more if you have. <laughs> but what you're talking about, Sam, is if – look, if, if you make this a destination, like we talked about, you're creating this outdoor space where you're going to have the, the steam or the, 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 the reserve or the offput of what your production facility does to heat the floor – Mm-hmm. That now you have a four season area where you can throw up the garage doors or the big doors and things like that, and really bring in everything that you're doing with the public. But this is why you want to come here right. because you get to experience the, the the destination of the facility, the destination of all these seasonal products that you're making cocktails out of. Mm-hmm. It's a whole experience, and then you connect the bottle. You connect the cocktail. You connect the people you meet. Absolutely. I mean, we met some great people along the tour that are working real hard every day yep. to make your spirits, and every one of them has a real important, you know, Role. from 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 handwriting, you know, on the bottle what run it was, and and all that other stuff. Where you are today, you know, in, in terms of, of production and in terms of the growth, how has COVID impacted your business over the last twenty months? Yeah, um, to, to, to kind of comment on what you said at the beginning there is we, we love to have people come here um, because we, we visit markets. We've got sales reps all over the country, and, and they, they visit here as much as they can. Um, but there's nothing there's nothing more, you know, Vermont than, than actual Vermont. <laughs> so come see Vermont and come see us. And because we, we, we are trying to run this, like you mentioned, a little bit of a, a sustainable program where we're, we're, we're heating certain elements with reclaimed heat from the distillation process. We've got solar panels all over the roof. Um, 
uh, in terms of COVID, it was it was sad for sure. We were only open about eight months before COVID started, and it was a big success. We were busier at the in the hospitality side of things um, than we ever thought we would be, and then we had to close. And you know, things have changed since. Originally, we were doing just to go cocktails, and we really tried hard to, to kind of elevate the cocktail, the to-go cocktail program by offering um, craft ice that goes with the cocktail. And All right, right. so what's, what's craft? i not heard of craft ice. What's cra- Are you actually, like, taking it off the river? No, it's <laughs> not that it localized. Off, you're cutting your own ice off the lake? <laughs> no, but almost. Um, we're getting, um, we have we have two different ice machines. One makes one inch by one inch really kind of solid cubes. The okay. one makes pebble ice um, for a certain kind of tiki and tropical style drinks. And then we do get these blocks. Um, that are about you know two feet long by one feet wide rectangles that are crystal clear um, from the same type of ice machine that freezes ice for ice sculptors. Right. So completely clear. Um, and and when you use that in your cocktails, you're offering a little a, a smaller surface area. You're you're offering a, 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 a visually aesthetically um, more interesting cocktail, and it and it, it really kind of. Uh, elevates the whole experience, just like a glass would or a garnish would, um, as well. And so we we've been using, you know, a lot of folks when they switched it to go cocktails, they tried to make kind of shelf stable cocktails. They started, you know, using uh, citrus juice alternatives. Um, we didn't want to do that too too much. We we wanted to be able to still offer that fresh experience. So a lot of times for even to go cocktails, we'll be shaking or stirring to order, um, putting it usually in glass vessels so folks can reuse those vessels or bring it back to us um, to recycle um, instead of uh, creating a lot of land waste, landfill waste. Yes. Right. And, and I think the big thing right now, when we talk about landfill, I mean, the accessibility of glass mm-hmm. and, and how that's impacting everybody across the board. Now, is that something you guys are all labels and glass, and you guys are okay on all the all the um, supply chain items on, on that? Yeah, we are okay. Um, the, the we I'm, I'm not in the production side of things too too much, so I can't really speak too much to that. Um, but so far, we we've been able to keep uh, in stock what we need to, and we have a really good team that's very good at um, projections and, and planning out ahead of time and, and doing what we have to do to make sure we can get the gin and the vodka to as many people as we can. And from our tour, you still have a lot of hand sanitizer. So if anybody needs hand sanitizer as well as great gin and vodka, yes, this is a good... Absolutely. And you, you do something cool. You put it in a little honey uh, a honey bear yeah, container. Yes, so that was actually a container during COVID that was very hard to source for little bottles. Um, and, and one of our, our, our people in, in D.C., Amy, a different Amy, um, was able to find out that we could have access to these plastic honey, honey bear jars honey bear containers that we were putting a hand sanitizer in. So that was really what we, we pivoted to at the beginning of COVID was switching to making hand sanitizer more than anything. We partnered with local organ, local fermenters like cideries and breweries that had some products going bad because they weren't selling it to restaurants, of course. Um, and we were taking that fermented product and distilling it to as high proof possible and, and making hand sanitizer. We have our, our still in there that's made about 45,000 gallons of hand sanitizer. And a lot of it went to first responders in Vermont. A lot of it got do- donated to nonprofits. And we had a whole program that folks could buy a bottle and then also donate a bottle um, to someone else. Um, and so we really... Made a lot of sanitizer, and you shared an interesting nuance of a com- you know of of your still name. Yes. Oh, so the the hand sanitizer was produced on a still named Phyllis, and that's our, our our beautiful you know hybrid pot and double column still. That's very very tall and copper. Originally came from Germany, and Phyllis is Ryan, the the head distiller and president's grandmother's name, and the real Phyllis was not too too excited of her grand son going into the alcohol industry um but i think she would have been pretty proud to find out that you know that still named after her made about forty-five thousand gallons of hand sanitizer that's awesome that's awesome sam when we come back we're going to share and taste some of these spirits and introduce them to those that haven't had them before and we'll talk a bit more about uh, all things bar hill great brewskits beer grain dog bones brewskits your dog will go wild brewskits Beer, grain, dog bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. We're back. And we're going to, to again, what I, what I think is we, we, we met Amy at the Philadelphia Flower Show. And, again, she was dressed up like a bee. 
very, you know, he couldn't miss her, and the whole thing was packed. But when we started having your spirits, we absolutely fell out. And this is when, when we met. You just had the vodka and the gin, and we had not even had the Tomcat yet. So Dawn, Dawn loved the raw honey. Yes, I'm not a honey person at all, and now that would be the only honey I can <laughs> Totally. So the, the honey is, you know, the backbone to everything we do. Like I said, it's, it's a raw honey, which means it's never been... Um, pasteurized or heated or filtered or fined at all um, and so in the honey the honey is just you know I think the most terroir driven product that exists and that's interesting because you touched on that about how you know all the botanicals and how you make your gin you know this could change from season to season right a little I mean, bit exactly so we, we source all of the honey from from local apiaries within 250 can I taste it yes please within 250 miles around the distillery um, and it's important that we don't go further than that um, specifically because the terroir changes. So we really want a depiction of this northeast land here um, and the landscape. And, you know, we the, the partner apiaries we work with are pretty excited to work with us because they don't have to worry too much about packaging or marketing. They sell it to us in bulk. Uh, we pay them year-round um, so they can have that consistent uh, income coming in. And, you know, we get a, a large amounts and we blend a large amounts to try to get as consistent product as possible. But, yeah, we're, we're dealing with the land. We're dealing with agriculture. So things can change um, slightly, slightly. We're doing a lot of research now to find out kind of what is in this honey that everyone loves so much. And it's a complicated process. There's about 100, 150 wildflowers um, that are forged by the bees um, to, that goes into the honey. So it's a very, very complex, rich, rich, uh, premium product, agricultural product. There is so much floral Mm -hmm. to this yes I mean you, you couldn't even start to stay and, and try to pinpoint oh yeah. I taste that I taste this but it's almost like if you walked into this this field of flowers and just exactly. everything on your nose turned into what was on your palate it's so incredible the, the flavor and the consistency and what was interesting when you showed us how you bottle this mm -hmm. that you have this vessel that you have to keep this at 95 degrees sure we try not to heat it above 95 degrees 95 degrees is the, the internal temperature of a of a beehive actually that they keep and so if we go too too much higher then we start to lose some of those floral notes which are really important to us um so yeah we can so we take this honey um, we can start with our vodka, and about four pounds of this honey goes into one bottle of vodka because our vodka typically is produced, you know, with with um, affordable types of sugar uh, like grain or potatoes. Um, there's none of that in this vodka. This vodka is 100% fermented and distilled um, raw honey. So I wonder how many distilleries, and I'd be interested to look that up as to how many distilleries are making their vodka out of honey. Not very many. Not, there are I, some. Honey because when you say four pounds of honey, that yeah. is a tremendous cost, especially today. Totally. This jar right here is one pound, so you can kind of imagine. Um, and that's why our vodka is actually the, the most expensive product of the lineup, um, because it's it's 100% made from from honey. And so what we'd like to say is the way it's distilled and the way it's it's barely filtered is to preserve a little bit of that flavor. So it's it's a vodka that actually has flavor without being. A flavored vodka so there's no honey added after the fact there's no sweetener it's still dry it's still you know 40 percent alcohol um, but it has this texture that you don't find in many vodkas in my opinion it's a creaminess it's got a rich mouth feel it's a hint of floral uh notes happening as well as some butterscotch maybe and some vanilla i get but all coming from you know the hearts of the distillation process with very little uh filtration i think on the nose one of the things, and, and again, I think it's what that honey is going to impart, you also get an earthiness to it, which you don't find, to me, in vodka. You'll never find that because, you know, sure. the idea is I don't want this to smell like anything. I don't want this to taste like anything. But that's not the case in craft vodka or craft cocktails or craft spirits to me. In a way, there's so much even going on in the nose. Mm -hmm. It's it's just so complex there. Was this the idea, I mean, when when the... The distillers, the owners started out with this idea. Is this what they really wanted to achieve? I think so. You know, they wanted um, to make a vodka that was that was different. You know, most a lot of vodkas, like you said, they're described as neutral or flavorless or odorless. And that's that's why there's no real reason to, to use anything besides the, the cheapest sugar source um, because you're going to filter it very heavily and you're just going to make what tastes like ethanol. And what we're trying to do here... 
is, is, is still kind of be within the guidelines to classify it and technically call it as vodka. So you have to still distill it to a certain proof. You still have to filter it a certain way. Um, we only distill twice. A lot of uh, folks out there will, will kind of brag about how many times their vodka is distilled, six times distilled, 12 times distilled. You know, every time you're distilling something, you're stripping it away from a little bit of flavor. So legally, you have to distill it twice. That's why we distill it twice. Um, but we do it in such a way that we're trying to preserve as much flavor as possible. This really sits on the palate. I think you talked a little bit about the texture. It's a little heavier of vodka. Mm. There's, there's peppery notes to it. There's a spiciness to it. Um, I even get, and again, this could be coming from the, the, the honey itself, but it's almost like I get a thyme, you know, a thyme note to an herb, sure. or, you know, rosemary a little bit. Sure. There's, there's so much here to this. Yeah, it's so very complex. What, what are some of the cocktails you like making with this vodka? What, what stands out for you? Right. Um, so, like, we, we like to make even spirit-forward cocktails with the vodka where you can really taste that vodka. So, um, when we do our kind of house martinis here, we, we do we, a, a nice vermouth that goes with it. And, and we always use a lemon twist instead of olives here. Sometimes even, like, a, a citrus bitters, like an orange bitters or an orange tincture or something um, works really well to make those kind of honey notes pop. We're trying to really accent the vodka instead of uh, hide it, you know, in cocktails. See, that's another reason why to buy this bottle, because mm-hmm. now you can experiment with some different... It sounds like you're looking for this floral, this citrus, this vibrance of, of the cocktail. Um, and, and trust me, we love you know the martinis, a dirty martini, you know, a brininess and stuff like that. But this creates a whole different flavor profile with this sure. vodka. And, and then we make... that just by itself, too, which will good. Right. And we make, you know, a bee's knees variation. We call it a time to be, which is just the vodka, lemon, and honey. And it works really well, and people people love it, so couple of simple options there that's awesome so this is the gin this is <laughs> the, gin. the gin is about a i don't know if i have my numbers completely correct but it's about 80 percent of all the business we do is is with the gin um bar hill gin is even our name on instagram and you know gin is all about botanicals right and so gin is an interesting spirit where you're actually starting with a neutral grain spirit um in this case it's corn uh, so it's very, very neutral, just ethanol, basically. And then we, we infuse it, seep it with juniper berries, which you need to be able to call it gin. And to make a real gin, uh, juniper berries have those piney notes, those foresty notes. Uh, and then in... Yeah, we got to see you how you treat the juniper berries in a way that you want to impart as much of that flavor in without losing, you know, or, or even how they may over impart into the, the gin right. that you're looking for. So we, we were grinding all the juniper berries with a... Uh, a very sophisticated meat grinder <laughs> that we've been using for about 10, 10 years now, I think. And um, the idea with that is that it's crushing the juniper berries without completely pulverizing it and getting out those bitter notes. Um, and then we're seeping it in that, that high-proof spirit and then throwing it into the still and redistilling it. And that's how gin is made. And what comes off of that still is just a single note, single botanical juniper spirit. Um, at that phase in the game is where most other gin producers will, will add other botanicals along. They'll either the bring in a gin basket, infuse it, they'll do a lot of different things, but that's not what you do. Right. Um, we're, they would add other botanicals, right? We're, we're doing a single botanical, and then we're really trying to highlight the botanicals that are in the honey. So we're adding a little bit of honey after the fact to the gin. So technically it's an Old Tom-style gin, which means a gin that's had some sort of sweetener added afterwards. But our goal is to not make a, a sweet product. You know, it's a single-digit, small percentage of honey that's added to it. And it's really to get the botanical notes from the honey to shine through to the gin. So on, on the one hand, you know, it's a, a single botanical gin with juniper berries. But on the other hand, there's 100, 150, we call it countless botanicals coming from the honey that really shine through in the gin. Um, it's a rich, robust, uh, full-flavored, floral, very approachable gin. We hear all the time people that say, oh, I don't like gin or... I had a bad experience in college. You know, we call those gincidents here in, in, in our company. Yeah, we, we hear so many people that have had a gincident and they, they really shy away from gin the rest of their lives. And we, we really urge them to just try Bar Hill because, um, like our, our colleague here, Sophia, likes to say, this is the gin that brings you in um, because, because of how approachable it is. What I, to that point, to where you say that, you're, you know, it, it's always like, oh, I don't want to have too much juniper, um, or I don't like the dryness. And I think with your gin, what really stands out is it, 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 the gin comes to a certain point, and I think that the botanicals, the sweetness of the honey kick in, but then that doesn't overpower it. 
And that, uh, for me, that juniper comes back. Mm-hmm. So you get that nice mouthfeel, the pepperiness, the, 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 the minty, you know, piney notes without it tasting like, ugh. Right. Like you said, that 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 uh, that, that to the college accident, exactly. the gin incident, the gin incident, and, and you could. This is one of those things where you know you could grab a bottle of your vodka, you could grab a bottle of your gin, and again, these are just something you can open and just enjoy as they are. They really can be enjoyed that way. But you make you probably make countless cocktails with that gin. For sure, yeah. Gin specifically is not typically a spirit that's drank room temp, but we hear that all the time too at our tasting bar and everything, that it, it totally can be drank um, just as is. Um, but yes, countless cocktails, you know, even with just your most basic gin and tonic, especially with a lot of the craft tonics out there these days, a little bit drier, um, the Bar Hill gin stands up really well to them. Uh, even a, a Negroni, which we like to go a little gin heavy. So it's important, you know, on the bartending side of things to think about the spirits you're using and tweak certain recipes. Um, a lot of times since the Bar Hill Gin does have a little bit of residual sugar, we'll, we'll change the, the specs just slightly to, to make the cocktail a little bit more balanced. Um, but we do everything from Bees Knees cocktails to, uh, it, it, it's a gin that plays really well with, with other spirits too for split base cocktails and such. Um, but yeah. You touched on something and I, and we've had conversations with people and I'd love to get your opinion on this, especially from the bar world and the distillery world. The conversation comes that, you know, if you are putting vodka in a refrigerator or you're putting vodka or gin in a refrigerator, the idea is you're also – do you get a sense or is it your opinion or would you dispute the opinion to say you're trying to hide by, – by putting in the refrigerator, you're trying to hide flavors or it's it's not a great spirit. So you're trying to by, – by pulling the temperature sure. down, what your what your palate can do with it. Is that something that – you know, what are your feelings about that? You know, my feelings are, as, as we talked a little bit about a tattoo here, is that shakran gu, which means to each their own taste. And the way to drink this gin is the, really the way you like to drink the gin. So I'm not going to argue with anyone who enjoys drinking Bar Hill gin with however they want to store it. Um, yeah, many people like to put their spirits in the fridge or even the freezer to keep it cold. And yes, professional tasters will, 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 will not taste like that, even beer and things. They'll bring it to room temp to really kind of be able to taste the nuances. It, it is true that when stuff is ice cold, you do potentially start to lose some different flavors um, and such. So kind of, yeah, to each their own, if that's how folks like to enjoy it. That's great. I would ask them to also try to enjoy it the other way and just to kind of step outside of their box of comfort. Or or maybe that's the way – here's the thing. Maybe that's the way they were always told or they saw other people do it that way and there was an assumption or a perception. This is how how it's supposed to be. Sure. Countless times people will suggest or if you're making martinis, people love ice cold – martinis and they'll throw the vodka in the freezer mm-hmm. so i think in a lot of ways maybe if you always saw somebody do that sure. that's the way you're thinking sure. that should be done that way right i would always urge folks to taste all spirits you know neat at room temp first just to really get the experience and then to continue to drink it however they'd like and that's probably the way you kind of talk about look i mean you're taking those those botanicals you're taking all those flavors that are really imparting to what you're doing here and you know you're relying on the bees to do their thing mm-hmm. so hey you do your thing <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's a good way to put it all right what do you got there the blue, which way are you taking this take this one first i love this journey yeah so now we're on to the tomcat so the, the listeners out there can't see this but it's a it's a dark spirit it's a brown spirit um it looks a lot like a whiskey right so everything that comes off the still is always clear completely clear so our vodka is completely clear even a, a whiskey that would always come off completely clear. And if it has a color like this, ideally it's color that's coming from from actual oak and, and thyme in a barrel, as opposed to some coloring or some caramel or something. So 100% of this color and, and added flavor comes from um, time spent in a charred uh, new American white oak barrel. Um, it's actually the same exact barrel you would use to make a bourbon, but it's important to point out that it's not a used bourbon barrel. Um, so it's new barrels that we use. That's why this color is, is so dark and so rich. It's the same gin. So it has the honey, it has the juniper, but now we've added the flavors from the wood, which is like vanilla and caramel and a little coconut. Um, and it's, it's a really nice kind of fall and winter gin that it's, it's for the whiskey drinker. You know, it, it, is this a, a, 
a botanical whiskey or is it an aged gin? You know, it's somewhere in between. Uh, a Negroni made with this is amazing. Uh, uh, you know, a bourbon Negroni is called a Boulevardier. So sometimes we call this a Boulevardier, sometimes we call it a Negroni. It doesn't really matter because either way it's delicious. And uh, yeah, what do you think? I think... See, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with this the first time I tried it. And what I find is that that journey that the gin takes you on where you get the sweetness of the honey, the juniper notes, and that kind of goes back. And then you add this wonderful oak flavor mm -hmm. that just stays there, introduces itself, and then goes back to – just goes back to with everybody else. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's as if, you know, you're, you're announcing – this is the way I would characterize this gin. You've, you've let the band play. Mm -hmm. And then everybody gets to do their solos. So, hey, on drums, on bass, on lead, that's what your gin does. And then it just goes back to playing the rest of the song. Right. That's exactly how your gin plays. And it's just phenomenal. Now, you touched on the barrels. So are these the barrels that are coming from Vermont right now? Or no. are these coming from a different area? Right. The, the Tomcat barrels are all coming from the Midwest, which is where most of the oak and the, the coopers are um and we, we do a lot of blending so, so we have andrew here who's who's our, our our he calls himself the barrel buddy he's our, he's our barrel guy and and he does a lot of blending so you know depending on where the oak came from the cooper that it was made where it's being aged inside the distillery is it up high is it down low every single um, drop is going to taste different depending on the barrel and so his job is a very key and, and difficult one where he's categorizing each each barrel you know, and he has a whole sheet of tasting notes that he tastes each barrel and, and decides, okay, this one has heavy cinnamon notes, this one has heavy clove notes, this one's really high on the char. So he knows the perfect blend to make to try to make a consistent Tomcat product um, each time. How did Tomcat, where did the name Tomcat come from? Yeah, I figured you were going to ask that actually. But, uh, <laughs> Tomcat is, 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 a, is a play on um, back in around 1750s in England was the, what they called the gin craze. And, uh, they it was a a time where gin was being consumed in very heavy amounts to the point where it was being consumed even more than beer and um eventually the 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 beer producer started to create some propaganda and things against gin saying it's it, it'll make you you know murder your family or it'll make you uh, live on the streets and 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 just kind of create all this chaos in your life and the government began to tax gin producers very heavily and a lot of them couldn't afford to stay open or or at least not stay open legally so what they created were these little underground um gin sellers that uh were kind of like the original speakeasy that well that would be like a gin joint right i mean the, exactly. the same kind of philosophy and so folks would have a little black cat a little black tomcat either a statue or a picture outside of their their little you know bar and sometimes folks would come and they'd put a couple coins in the cat's mouth and then out of the cat's paw they would hold a little cup and they'd shoot some gin through the cat's paw and the person would get their little gin you know and dram of gin and, and shoot that down and continue on their way so it's a little bit of an homage to, to that sort of tomcat um culture there I never heard that story. No. Oh my god. Yeah, you have to look it up too. There's really cool pictures of. <laughs> I got to find one of these cats. Sure. <laughs> okay. And it, it, even before that, it goes to the 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 type of gin, which back then was before London Dry, and they were, it was called Old Tom style gin. So then the Tomcat came from that Old Tom style, and then so on and so forth. That's so fascinating. So what is the next one? The, the other, the last one in our series of tastings. All right. So the last one looks very different. You can tell. Um, this is actually a bottle that's under the Caledonia Spirits line and not under Bar Hill because it um, doesn't have any honey in it. This is part of our experimental line. We only sell this at the distillery. And it's part of what we call our experiments in agricultural rectification. And it's a little bit of a mouthful, uh, a little bit on purpose, but it's, it's ways for us to basically experiment with local agricultural products, partner with local farmers, and help them realize that um, we can create value-added products, we can um, connect the gap that people have developed over the last, um, the last bunch of years, that the distillation is actually on that same line of agriculture, where most farms back in the day had a mini um, still that they would distill. It's the ultimate form of preservation. You know, you grow some apples, 
they start to go bad. You make apple cider, uh, maybe some vinegar, apple sauce, etc. Brandy, hard cider, yep. and eventually brandy is is that last uh, last piece on that line. Um, and so this was our our first experiment, which was with maple syrup. So some of the trees actually on Ryan's land, the head distiller. Uh, they tapped and they took maple syrup and then they distilled. It's a very similar process to the honey um, distilled vodka. This is a vodka made 100% from sugars of maple syrup. A little bit more traditional style, you know, a little bit of that kind of brightness and dryness of a regular vodka. But I get a lot of notes of butterscotch and a little like kind of light caramel or, as well on here. What I think is important is like you're in Vermont. Right. I mean, there are maple producers all over here, and I think it's a nice recognition, a nice tribute to what people really, when you come to Vermont, you think of a lot of things, but maple syrup, we, we, we picked up ours and all those things, we just love it. And as a product, putting in vodka or creating it with vodka, that's, that's just a great idea. Absolutely, and, and, and people are interested in the same thing. It's a type of sipping vodka that you can uh, make cocktails with or not. That's um, smooth. And it's, it's, a, it's a good, smooth, terroir-driven vodka. You know, we, a lot of folks even on staff make their own maple syrup. At the bar specifically, we're getting maple syrup from our retail manager, Riva, um, who makes her, her maple syrup with a wood-fired stove. And, um, yeah. You mentioned butterscotch. I get this almost this toasted marshmallow, this burnt marshmallow, the molasses, mm. all those nuances that you'd yes, want yes. from a great maple syrup. So here's my question. You've got um, – we, we took the tour. There are other things that are going to be coming out of Bar Hill, right? What can people expect of other distilled spirits that may they may find their way to the shelves or to the next cocktail? For sure. So this this – EAR, Experiments in Agricultural Rectification line, is always going to continue to happen. We've made a spirit with burdock root before. We might be making something with apples soon. We'll see. Um, but uh, Todd Hardy, who was the original beekeeper farmer that had started the company, had, had recently, a couple years ago, sold his shares um, to Ryan, and he took that money and, and purchased some more land and started farming, which is where his heart's always been at. He's, he's, he's growing winter rye, mostly, and some barley. And then he's, he's you know, partnering back with us to, to make whiskey out of that. So every Friday is rye day. That's when we'd make our mash uh, for the rye whiskey. And then that's actually aging in regional oak. Um, so oak that's been harvested from New England and put together and charred and toasted by Cooper up here. And, um, yeah, so the... You know, the whiskey will be ready when the whiskey is ready. Uh, it's been aging. We have some barrels that have been aging already for three, four years now, um, but we're trying to build a little bit of a blending stock so that we don't just, you know, put out one barrel and have it be all sold out and have to wait another 10 years. We want to be able to have some very old barrels so that we can then blend in with some newer ones and, and create a consistent product. Um, I have tasted it. It is smooth. It's delicious. Uh, and please look out for that. So what I'm hearing with that is, you're bringing in local grain, local wood. Mm-hmm. You have your the, the source of your water. What about yeast? The yeast for the whiskey is a good question for the whiskey. I'm not sure okay. which that's yeast. Okay, that's a proprietary secret. Yes. You can't tell anybody. <laughs> but I'm curious because, you know, you've got these um, natural elements yep. that you could really collect with probably with some of that beef, the, the, the honey you have too. Right. And I'm curious of, of any... When you talk about this experimental series, because this is this is where I kind of geek out on stuff, sure. where now you can do some um, wild fermentation, some sure. open fermentation. Is that part? Of, is that in anybody's mind about the experimental series, or is this something that I'm just you know, hey, this crazy no, guy showed up one day to do a podcast and talked about open fermentation or wild fermentation? No, it's not crazy at all, and it's definitely it's definitely on people's minds all, all the time. You know, for the. For the gin or for the vodkas, we're, we're typically using a white wine yeast, um, but there's still a lot of natural, you know, enzymes and yeasts that, that are on the honey and the maple syrups. And um, in the lab specifically, where we do a lot of small runs, we've experimented um, with some some more uh, natural fermentations or wild fermentations, like you call it. So it's definitely on people's minds. Um, but yeah, we haven't gotten to the point yet where we're producing on a large scale and consistently and, and things like that. And once you start to introduce those sorts of wild yeast into your fermentation area, it can be a little bit hard to get rid of. That's sometimes. right. So That's it's, right. it's a little bit of a fine line. Um, we want to make sure that we're you know keeping the, the product consistent and, and the gin that everyone loves. I'm curious, after you're done with the barrels of the Tomcat, what happens with the barrels? Yeah, so the barrels, you know, 
are sought after by a lot of folks because it's a used gin barrel, which doesn't exist very, very much. And so we have breweries or cideries or even maple syrup makers that are aging all of their products in a used gin barrel. Um, and we've had some fun kind of partnerships where we've, you know, given some of our used gin barrels to a cider maker. They've aged cider in it. They've given the barrels back to us. We've then re-aged gin in it that now has a little bit of a cider wash. Um, when we opened up this facility, we don't have any bottles left, unfortunately, but we, we created a month Pillier Tomcat um, with the state house on the front uh, label, and that one actually used some barrels that had uh, previously had held some cider in it. It's really delicious. With all that we talked about, Caledonia Spirits, Bar Hill, all of that, is there anything else that you want people to know about? You know, the distillery, the spirits, the cocktail program. Sure, um, a little bit along the lines of the community in general, and. and is, is the program that we've developed at the bar, which is a, a non-tip model. So our bartenders are all uh, paid a professional wage. Um, they're included in the company benefits and paid time off. And I told you, I want to work here. This is, <laughs> this is I can tell you, and, and Sam, from the moment we walked in and even communicating, even going back two years when we met Amy, there's just something about everybody you come in contact with Caledonia Spirits. And to the model of the owners and the founders, I think that's something that you strive through. And would you say it's like the Vermont spirit? Would, would, would you really connect that? Is, is there a Vermont spirit that, that you can kind of talk about? Or you're, you're kind of chuckling. <laughs> well, I'm chuckling just because of I, I don't want to uh, put ourselves ahead of our, our other distiller partners and friends out there. Um, but, but Bar Hill Gin does, because of the honey, really represent the terroir and the land here. And, and you can find um, this Vermont product uh, outside of Vermont, which, which is exciting. And I always like seeing pictures from friends who are sending me pictures from Colorado or California where they see Bar Hill. Um, so you have a model for the company. You're, you're really bringing in – you talked about some profit sharing and, and some of the things that the, 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 the distillery is doing. Right. Um, so the, the two, two things to go back to the, the community. We call it a community donations program, which is the, the non-tip model. The bartenders are paid you know, professional wages and, and, and on the benefits. And then if folks do decide to leave a tip, we actually gather up that money and we donate it to a local nonprofit. And it can be significant. It's usually on a month-to-month basis. Um, in terms of profit sharing, we, we are, uh, they're launching this upcoming April, uh, a new benefit, which is stock options that each staff member will, will, will get a little bit of each month as long as they work here, which I think is, is really nice to have folks kind of really invested in the job that they're doing and to feel a little bit of that ownership over, over the job that they're doing, um, and, and feel proud, which a lot of folks here are, um. You mentioned you want to work here. You know, there's a staffing crisis in the industry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so don't say it too no, loud. No, I know. <laughs> look, but I, look I, I think that one of the things you touched on, Sam, and I think it's important is in our mindset today, when you look at the staffing crisis, right, doesn't that give people a sense of if I'm going to pick a place and now I can, mm-hmm. why don't I pick a place where I can feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of something? Sure. Don't we want to be part of something? Sure. And not to say that if you, not to say like we go back to, hey, Montpelier is the only state capital without McDonald's. I mean, there are people that work at McDonald's. I think they're part of something. Sure, they're, sure, they're, sure. They're, they're, there's a lot of community in that. And I think that's important to say, look, as as a customer, as a fan of Bar Hill, I have to say, if, if, if I'm sharing this with a friend or I'm just drinking this on my own, I honestly feel like I'm a part of something. Sure. You know, That's we've nice met you, we've met your staff, we've, we've met a lot of great people, and I don't need, mean to just belabor that. You know, we don't have any stock options, so <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, we, you know, you want to feel like, um, you want to see success, you want to see happiness, growth. And if you're, the people that are working here, from people that are dipping your bottles into the wax and your distillers and your barrels and, and your, if everybody feels like along the chain, mm-hmm. they're making something that's really going to be resonating with the public. Sure. That's huge. It is. It is huge. And it's an, and I think folks out there, you know, that are, that are buying the products that are drinking, they want to know what, what it is that they're, that they're consuming, not only where it comes from and what's in the bottle, but who made it and why, and, and the, the kind of story and, and reasoning behind it. And, you know, we're, we're real people here doing the best we can to make a, a good product that we, we also respect and, and would buy ourselves. Um, and so, you know, our Ryan, the, the owner likes to say that, you know, 
a lot of spirits are, are marketing companies that have kind of invented a way to distill. We're distillers that are trying to figure out how to market. Um, you know, so it's it wasn't created in a boardroom or anything like that. There's there's real people here making real spirits, and um, it, it takes everyone, like you said, from the beginning to the end. I am grateful for your time today, Sam. This has been awesome. This has been. I always say, I mean, I, this exceeded our expectations, but just getting a chance to actually come up here and taking the time to do this. I know this is within your schedule. I know you're busy and there's so much going on, but for Dawn and I, we're grateful that you sat down with us and shared. Bar Hill, you know, if you, if you see it on the shelf, um, you do have a way to, you said you're in 32 states, right? So you have, you have distribution. Can people go to the website and order directly or does it show them where to find it in their state? Both. We, we're not allowed to ship directly from the distillery, but on our website, there's a third-party app there that connects you to figure out where your state, where you can get it from. There's state. a lot of online delivery, depending on where you're at. Um, and yeah, if not, come see us and we'll take care of you. But thanks for you guys taking the time out of your lives to come up to Vermont. Um, Hopefully you got to see some foliage. Yeah, no, this is, this has been a perfect time. We got we we never knew what the the gray the what are they, the Vermont gray or something, but yeah. where the, the leaves go from green to the you know the reds, the yellows to the browns, and then gray. Good. And then they're just gone, and we and forget that they gone. existed for nine months. Right, but that's just been great. Thank you again so much. Of course, thanks for coming. Thanks, Ed. Cheers. Cheers.